May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's a roller coaster and a mishmash of messages that we get from our scriptures today. Firstly, we hear from the Song of Solomon this wonderful poetry that begins with the voice of my beloved and calls and describes the beloved as a gazelle leaping. But we end with Mark making a list of things that are evil intentions that come from the human heart. And so there seems to be an expansiveness. And then, but at the end, sort of a restrictiveness. I see that the theme running from the Song of Solomon through James and through Mark is about human desire. Human desire to live life fully. Desire to know life in all its aspects. Desire to understand more deeply our purpose and our meaning and God's call on our hearts. A longing, a desire to live life and engage with this gift from God truthfully and authentically. So that theme of desire, of longing to fulfill our senses, to fulfill our sense of purpose, to fulfill the longing of our hearts is runs throughout these incredible scriptures. And we're here truthfully talking about all, all types of desire. Each one addresses a different type. Now, I was just in Greece, and I desired to learn Greek, but waited so long that even when I got to the highest level of my little Duolingo app, all I could say were things like, it is a carrot, and the water is pink. Don't ask me why. There must be a method to that duolingual madness, but we're not talking about, in these scriptures, desire backed up by uh, lack of preparation. <laughs> a longing to live life more fully is evident in the Song of Solomon which is a love song, which some people interpret as a love song, a love story between two people, or as an allegory about God's love for all creation, its beauty that invites all humankind into a, a type of playfulness, 
or creativity or even passion to live into that fullness of our senses as if our life and all of love depended upon it. Susan Henry Crow wrote that romantic love between individuals in the Song of Solomon is also meant to be seen as a source of love of humanity, that love between individuals is a source of commitment that ripples out into community and is not something to be ashamed of, but something to be lived into lovingly and joyfully and responsibly. Something that fills your heart and soul and senses so that you may and want to desire to give back to a community in need of love and grace. Dorothy Soleil, one of my favorite theologians, wrote about the Song of Solomon that nature, animals, men, and women partake of the joy, the abundance, the fullness of life individually in order to get to solidarity with the community. Again, I was just in Greece, and the writer and philosopher, well known for um, being influenced by a variety of philosophies and religions, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about him later, um, Nikos Kazantzakis, I'm still trying to say his last name right, he wrote this wonderful quote about, I said to the almond tree, friends, speak to me of God, and the almond tree blossomed. And so the Song of Solomon is about seeing in our nature and in nature God's sense and senses at work our desire to live more fully into this gift of life that God has given us. The theme of desire is also present in James, in this desire to understand more deeply how we are to receive God's grace and insert our understanding and respond to it in our lives, not as an obligation, but as a response to receiving that grace and love. And so people sometimes don't like James, they think he's works righteousness, that you do things in order to get to salvation, but that's not the truth at all. The desire in James is a desire to respond more fully to the, the gifts of God in our lives. And so one of some of the most beautiful uh, poetry in scripture, every good gift comes from above with no shadow or variation due to change. It doesn't mean things don't change, but it's a declaration that God's grace is equal for all of us. James was influenced by Greek philosophy in that he 
understood and used the phrase father of light because they, he thought of, it, of, of God as a divinity in a hierarchy with lightness being the, the most divine. But he was also Jewish and understood from his Jewish faith that the obligation, but not as, a, not as a, an obligation that's forced, but, but the, the fulfillment is the word I'm looking for, the fulfillment of doing acts of kindness and goodness and sacrifice for others. The early Christian converts came to the faith just like we do with our own influences. And James's desire is that we don't just receive and therefore fall short of, uh, of the fullest meaning of our lives, but that we act as a response to the goodness and grace and gifts that God has given us. The theme of desire is also present in Mark. And I, I want to say that we have to be very careful about this passage in Mark. There is a tendency, there has been a tendency sometimes in specific passages, specific engagements with, between Jesus and religious leaders to extrapolate the engagement with that one person or that one denomination, as it were, and place that on all the denominations. So there were a variety of Jewish practices, just like there are a variety of Christian denominations. And so when Jesus is calling that particular Pharisee a hypocrite, he doesn't mean that all Pharisees are hypocrites, or that all of the Jewish people are hypocrites. He is, in fact, engaging with this one Pharisee as a devout Jew and saying he can do better. He's, Jesus is not saying that the entire Jewish faith only cares about law. He's saying sometimes you put your traditions on a higher level than caring for humanity. You put too much effort into making sure certain boxes are checked because it is important. It is important. Those outward rituals and practices were part of a deep and necessary identity. But Jesus is challenging, challenging this particular group and this particular Pharisee to be better. Rituals are important. The traditions are important. The desire is 
situation. I've been thinking a lot recently about the inscription on Nikos Kazantzaki's grave. And he was, he was said to have been excommunicated for his, his avant-garde, not orthodox, Greek orthodox beliefs. But he, even though there was a campaign, excommunicate him, he never was officially. It got to the patriarch and it didn't go through, but he was buried outside of the church walls. This man wrote, you may know him by the films that uh, some of his books inspired, including Zorba the Greek with Anthony Quinn and The Last Temptation of Christ.